This is Raja Bihari Das, and you're listening to an introductory overview series on the Bhagavad Gita. You are welcome to join our class every Saturday from 2 to 4 p.m. at the Bhakti Lounge at the Hare Krishna Temple in Potomac, Maryland. Our general plan is to cover a chapter a week of the Bhagavad Gita. Thank you for listening. So we're finishing chapter 2, and we're on text 64. And... Krishna's still talking about the qualities of, well, <coughs> well, he's talking about the qualities of a, uh, uh, you know, how does he walk, you know, that whole, you know, that uh, question that was asked in the 50s or 54. So the, the qualities of a person fixed in knowledge, and part of that is explaining what unfixes us, and that's what we talked about last, the last two verses. Mm. That when, when you meditate on the object of senses, you become attached from attachment, lust develops and lust comes anger, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, but a person, so that just explained that. So, therefore, the word but here, the two, or in Sanskrit, two, is referring to the last two verses. But a person free from all attachment and aversion and able to control his senses through regulated principles of freedom can obtain the complete mercy of the Lord. And I think one nice thing here is this idea that seems counterintuitive that, or oxymoronic, that um, when you control yourself, you, you, you're free. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It is that. Yeah. When you control, well, and we have to add something. Later on in the Gita, it becomes clear, but here, here it says that. But we would say when we add bhakti is when you control yourself and turn your life over to Krishna, and you become free. But it's, it's your senses that you control. It is your senses that you control. Well, that's what's specifically being discussed here. Right. Yeah. Senses and mind. Right. Yes, and then, but it's just, because it's just, you know, I remember when I first read this back in the mid-70s. It's like, what? <laughs> so the regulated principles of freedom. So yeah. following yeah. rules and regulations actually makes one free, not, because if somebody was like, oh, come on, devotees, you know, you, take, you have such a harsh life, um, you're not free to go, to, you know, to uh, the disco, well, people don't go to discos anymore, uh, to the, you know, whatever, the, the party, yeah, the party. <laughs> and so it would seem like it's more of a restriction, but because we're becoming free from the control of the three modes of material nature, mm. it's actually freedom, mm. yeah, and freedom, there's this beautiful verse in the, um, I wonder if I should take the time to try to find it right now. It's in this first canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, uh, chapter 6, I believe. Let me just see if I can find it real quick. If I can't, then we'll find it another time. It talks about freedom. I doubt that's the right one. Let's see. No, that's not it. So we'll find it another time. Um... I'll give one other quick look. Hmm. Anyway, I won't. It talk. It just talks about how. Uh, um, yeah. Anyway, it talks about how how the devotee is actually the free person, basically, mm -hmm. in a nutshell. Yeah. Okay. So now I have to go back to the Bhagavad Gita. <laughs> Thank you. 
Well, it makes sense. Like if we're like dependent on certain things for our happiness, then we need those things. If we don't have them, then we're not happy. Right. So we're bound by by those things or those people. Exactly. Well, if in Krishna consciousness we are like free from everything, we're happy to experience within. Exactly. We don't look anymore like frantically outside for some happiness, like in addiction or something. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, if you experience that, then you really feel it. Then you really know it. And all of us experience it sometimes, as we we wouldn't be sitting here. (laughs) So the idea is to experience it more often. (laughs) Yeah. Like always, hopefully. (laughs) Yeah. For one thus satisfied in Krishna consciousness, the threefold miseries of material existence exist no longer. In such satisfied consciousness, one's intelligence is soon well established. So they still exist, but that's how we react to them. So um, anyone know the one of the threefold miseries? Ariyatmika. Yeah, what does that mean? Uh, suffering from the body and the mind. Yep, okay, that's one. Next. Anyone know what the other two? From the demigods. Yeah, so that's Adi Bhotik. Yeah. No, Adi Daivik. Adi Daivik. Yeah, and Adi Bhotik is um, from other living entities. Oh, yeah. right. So if you think about it, it's a pretty good summary of our the different ways we can suffer in this world, right? Mm-hmm. Other people, my God, you know, in my yeah. work, in my work every day, you drop something, I don't know what it was. It's just a head. Oh. Um, yeah, people are saying, oh, my boss, this or that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and the weather outside can <laughs> certainly be uh, aridaivic, right? Um, it snowed in South Texas yesterday, oh, yeah. right? In, Louis- in New Orleans. Um, and then uh, if anyone ever experienced any suffering from their mind? <laughs> Never. <laughs> so... So it says, for one who's satisfied in Krishna consciousness, the threefold miseries of material existence exist no longer. And I think we probably can, ex- we can actually, we, we can do a simple experience of this. You know, you hear something or someone tells you something or you read an email and it disturbs your mind. And um, if, you, if you've just chanted your, your, your rounds or if you're in good Krishna consciousness mm-hmm. uh, and you compare that when you're not, you, you see a total different way that re- you react to that news. Yeah, it's amazing. It could be it could be a matter of a few minutes. You know, when you start remembering Krishna again, and then you look at the same email or whatever, and it's, you can take a totally different approach. Mm-hmm. A totally very different approach. Right? You just see see things and puts things in perspective. Krishna consciousness puts things in perspective. Um, one who is not connected with the Supreme and Krishna consciousness can have neither transcendental intelligence nor a steady mind, without which there is no possibility of peace. And how can there be any happiness without peace? So, nice, huh? Another beautiful verse. Mm-hmm. So, happiness, peace come from a steady mind and transcendental intelligence. And about halfway in the middle of the purport, Shilpal writes, Therefore, if one is not in Krishna consciousness, there cannot be a final goal for the mind. Disturbance is due to want of an ultimate goal. And when one is certain that Krishna is the enjoyer, proprietor, and friend of everyone and everything, then one can, with a steady mind, 
bring about peace. And that's uh, para Prabhupada's paraphrasing the last verse of the fifth chapter. Bhaktaram. Yes, that's the Krishna is the enjoyer. That means what that means is we are meant to give him pleasure. Um, that's part of what it means. Proprietor, everything belongs to him, and friend of everyone and everything. <clears throat> so we're happy to give that pleasure. So yes. we're happy too. Because that's because we're actually coming in touch with who we really are. We're actually connecting with that. Remember that word, swarup? Or who we, the, our, our actual, what's that? Essence. Essence, yeah, our essence. So our essence is servant of God, servant of Krishna. So when we come in touch with that, it's like such a, well, first, first thing that sometimes happens, it's just a relief. Yeah, we're not the controller. Right. Yeah. We don't have to be the controller. Yeah. It's such a trip trying to imitate Krishna all the time. Because mm. ultimately that's what we're doing, you know, in a very existential sense. Mm -hmm. Putting ourselves in the center and our enjoyment in the center. And uh, so the, the, um, in the stage of sadhana bhakti, uh, the first symptom is kleshagni, which means the overcoming of klesha or distress, or we put in the positive relief. Mm. So, you know, you just feel like, oh, what a relief. <laughs> you know, even in the, in the mundane sense, you ever, um, it can really be, this is material, but it can be a relief. I got, like, I see guys who are, um, uh, what do they call it? RIP, retired in place. In other words, they're still working, but they, they've checked out. Oh. Right? You know, and, they, and in the government, that means they probably have 30 plus years. They're going to get a really good pension. And they're not trying to impress their boss anymore. They're just not trying to, they're not on that trip. Mm -hmm. And it's such a relief for them to just not have that thing, you know. Um, so that's a mundane example. But for us, that whole thing of trying to be somebody we're not. <laughs> is lifted <laughs> or or and again you know proportionately it's not lifted or not lifted it's proportional to our surrender to Krishna it's like that guy's name yeah <laughs> somebody I'm not. there you go <laughs> yeah I think that's that feeling you said that I had mm. it's like can I be somebody I'm not yeah so 67, as a strong, now this is a warning to us, as a strong wind sweeps away a boat on the water, even one of the roaming senses on which the mind focuses can carry away a man's intelligence. And we can, you know, we can see that in big and small ways. You know, you, you smell something. We had a really interesting um, uh, icebreaker at work the other day. Um, somebody, we just went around the room and said, uh, you know, what is your favorite smell? <laughs> right? Which is interesting. You know. um, I said uh, incense offered to Krishna. But anyway, <laughs> I said frankincense. I really like frankincense. Um, the kind you see in my my where they, they used to get rid of the mosquitoes. Mm. Bellows throughout the whole room. <laughs> um, but anyway, if you, you know, a lot of people said things that reminded them of their childhood. 
smell it reminded them earlier. Right? So, so that if they smell something like that, immediately the mind goes way over, right? You see someone or something that reminds you of someone or something, the mind, right? You hear an old song that you knew when you were a teenager or whatever. You are a teenager, or you're not yet getting there, though. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so that's a simple way to understand this verse. You think of something and you bring to Whole Foods and you breathe that in. What, what is that? Is that energy or what? It's just like <laughs> all like essential oils and stuff. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. Produce. For me, it's the end of my paycheck. <laughs> I don't even go in there. <laughs> I just go to smell. <laughs> yeah, I just walk around there. Like, okay. The prana, you know. <laughs> okay, now I'm going to Aldi's. What <laughs> <laughs> help says, what are you sniffing around for? Like, <laughs> yeah. No, but I, yeah. My wife now is into essential oils, and she has one of those vaporizer <laughs> things, and it, yeah, it really has a, an effect. So, so we see how strong the senses are in, in connecting with the mind and connecting with our mood and where our consciousness is at. And we could also understand, we could also extract from that, that any one of the senses, uh, any one of the sense objects that the sense is come in contact with can deviate us from Krishna. Mm. But the cool thing about Krishna consciousness that you're going to hear throughout the Gita is that those same senses can hear, smell, taste, touch, etc., things related to Krishna. And brings us closer to Krishna. Mm. Yeah. Sixty-eight. Therefore, O mighty armed Arjun, one whose senses are restrained from their objects, is certainly of steady intelligence. What is I always found this to be interesting. Uh, what is night for all beings is the time of awakening for the self-controlled, and the time of awakening for all beings is night for the introspective sage. Mm. I remember this person, I was visiting our temple in Hong Kong, and they don't really have any facilities to stay there, so I stayed at a guest house um, a couple of blocks away. And in between the temple and the guest house are um, nightclubs. So I would go to the temple at four in the morning, and that's yeah, just when the nightclubs were closing. Mm. Yeah. Right? So I'd see people, you know, just kind of pouring out in all, all states of intoxication uh, um, on the streets of Hong Kong. Actually, Kualum on, on the other side of Hong Kong, still considered Hong Kong. And there I was, you know, all, you know, uh, with my bead bags, just taking a shower, <laughs> and you know, just finished, you know, six or seven hours of sleep. <laughs> you know, I'm feeling real chipper, and you know, you know. So it was not that I'm, you know, an introspective sage, but um, yeah, it reminded me of this verse. I used to see that in Sydney too, when you used to go to the temple. Mm -hmm. Little King's Cross and oh yeah, King's Cross, a heavy place. <laughs> and like people are in the bars and they're like partying, and you come, you just like you go to a temple. So it's like two different worlds. Like yeah, it's really that? strange. Sydney, yeah. Sydney yeah. Australia, yeah. King's Cross, a pretty wild King's party Cross, place. Yeah, crazy. I also had that experience in Soho in London. Oh yeah, because yeah. that also is also, the is also yeah. The you temple is like right into in the. In it's the right city. in the heart of yeah, and it's right near a lot of. Uh, there's actually a nightclub right next door now. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, you can hear it at night when you're taking rest. Wow. Not very different than this place. It's so it's quiet. So peaceful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is it Solo Street? Was it like right off of this like? Right off of Oxford Street. Street yes. Yeah. So there's a lot of stores. Mm -hmm. 
And in, in Prabhupada writes the first sentence, there are two classes of intelligent men. One is intelligent in material activities for sense gratification, and the other is introspective and awake to the cultivation of self-realization. A person who is not disturbed by the incessant flow of desires that enter like rivers into the ocean, which is ever being filled but is always still, can alone achieve peace and not the man who strives to satisfy such desires. I think we talked about, I think I mentioned one or two classes ago that Prophet asked why is the Pacific Ocean called, why is it so peaceful? And he said because it's so deep. Oh. Um, a person who has given up all desires for sense gratification, who lives free from desires, was given up all sense of proprietorship and is devoid of false ego, he alone can attain real peace. So in terms of proprietorship, what we try to strive for then <laughs> is our ownership is centered around Krishna's service. So we have a car, we have a house, we have a this, we have a that. Um, and, we're, and the idea is that we're using it in Krishna's service. Um, Bhaktivinoda Thakur has a beautiful song where he sings that, um, um, you know, he said, Krishna, this is your house. And I'm just like, you know, a really good, faithful household dog guarding it and using it, you know, only <laughs> it's, it's, you're the proprietor, not me. Right. So, um, and again, so that's another example of taking a thorn out with a thorn. Our sense of proprietorship and really hankering after things in this world gets us in a mess. And not just rejecting things, but use, but instead using them in Christian service um, is a way to purify them. It's actually false renunciation to just renounce everything. Because then you're not, then you're not thinking, well, who does this belong to in the first place? How can I renounce something that is not mine? So real renunciation is, is using things in Krishna's service. And the last verse of this chapter, this is the way of spiritual and godly life, after attaining which a man is not bewildered. If one is thus situated, even at the hour of death, one can enter into the kingdom of God. And Srila Prabhupada writes, one can attain Krishna consciousness, first sentence, Krishna consciousness or divine life at once within a second. Or one may not attain such a state of life even after millions of births. It is only a matter of understanding and accepting the fact. And I guess what he means here by accepting is acting on it. Right? Because we can say, yeah, I accept, no problem. Because I, th I think that's because that's what we understand is required: understanding and then doing something about it. Yeah. So, anything else on this chapter? Okay. Chapter three: Karma, Yoga, and it begins with a question that we're going to hear Arjuna ask again in chapter five. Um, so, um, we're going to focus a little bit on the first few verses because they give a, uh, a background for the entire chapter. Arjuna said, O Janardhan, O Krishna, so those are Keshava, those are different names for Krishna. Why do you want to engage me in this ghastly warfare if you think that intelligence is better than fruit of work? 
So this sounds like work to me, but intelligence would mean going off to the forest and you know, not getting involved. So why do you want me to do this? Mm-hmm. Prabhupada writes, the Supreme Personality of Godhead Krishna has very elaborately described the constitution of the soul in the previous chapter. That was verses 11 to 30, where it talked about how you know, we go from one body to the next, and it's, you can't cut the soul or burn the soul, or the soul is eternal, ever-existing, unborn, primeval. With a view to delivering his intimate friend Arjuna from the ocean of material grief, and the path of realization has been recommended, Bodhi Yoga or Krishna Consciousness. And Bodhi means intelligence. And skipping a few sentences, Arjuna also thought of Krishna Consciousness, or Bodhi Yoga, or intelligence in spiritual advancement of knowledge as something like retirement from active life and the practice of penance and austerity at a secluded place. So meaning, again, it's almost like that point we were just making about yeah. uh, about owning things, you know, about possessiveness. So, okay, so we get in a mess by activities in this world, so therefore I won't do any activities. Mm-hmm. That's what Arjuna is basically saying. Mm-hmm. In other words, he wanted to skillfully avoid. Hare Krishna Prabhu. How are you, Prabhu? I'm good, Prabhu. Just like Hare. India, yeah? Yes. Chai, chai, chai. No milk. No sugar. Herbal tea. Acha. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming out in the cold like this. I know you're from South. If you need milk, I can drop for you. Of Thank you. Thank you, Prabhu. Yeah. Thank you so much. We have, we have people that want to join us. Oh, there are? Okay, so um, should, should we use my um, Zoom? All right, so where were we? Oh, so Krishna, so in other words, he wanted to skillfully avoid the fighting by using Krishna consciousness as an excuse. But as, but as a sincere student, he placed the matter before his master and questioned Krishna as to his best course of action. That's that's a nice smell. Mm, In answer, Lord Krishna elaborately explained karma yoga or work in Krishna consciousness in this third chapter. Okay, so. um, He just finished one. Yeah, I think so. And he says, so Arjuna continues, my intelligence is bewildered by your equivocal instructions. Equivocal means, you know, more than one. Please tell me decisively which will be most beneficial for me. So we're reading, I'm going to read this whole purport because it gives us some background. In the previous chapter, as a prelude to the Bhagavad Gita, many different paths were explained, such as Sankhya Yoga, which is basically that thing about the difference between body and soul. Buddha Yoga, later on in the chapter, using one's uh, intelligence in um, acting in knowledge. Control the senses by intelligence, work without fruit of desire and the position of the neophyte. I'm not, I was trying to think, like, I have to look at that a little more carefully, see which verses talk about the position of the neophyte. But um, This was all presented unsystematically. Remember, it was like, well, it's like a table of content. It covered everything. A more organized outline of the path would be necessary for action and understanding. Arjuna therefore wanted to clear up these apparently confusing matters so that any common man could accept them without misinterpretation. Although Krishna had no intention of confusing Arjuna by any jugglery of words, 
Arjuna could not follow the process of Krishna consciousness, either by inertia or by active service. He didn't want to do either. <laughs> you know, well, he's he's kind of hinting that he, he's willing to go to the forest, but it was problematic. In other words, by his question, he is clearing the path of Krishna consciousness for all students who seriously want to understand the mystery of the Bhagavad Gita. So it's often said that Arjuna asked questions um, for other people, for our benefit. The Supreme Personality of God had said, O sinless Arjuna, I have already explained that there are two classes of men who try to realize the self. Some are inclined to understand it by empirical philosophical speculation and others by devotional service. Or here, karma yoga is called devotional service because it leads to devotional service. So the analytical verses, verses 11 to 30, understanding the difference between the body and the soul, and those who and that's using one's intelligence mainly and trying to understand the world. And the others is being active. But being active, as Prabhupada translates it here, in devotional service. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So again, uh, because it sets the scene, we'll read the first half of this purport. In the second chapter, verse 39, the Lord explained two kinds of procedures, namely Sankhya Yoga and Karma Yoga or Buddha Yoga. Karma Yoga and Buddha Yoga are basically the same at least in the Gita's presentation. In this verse, the Lord explains the same more clearly. Sankhya Yoga, or the analytical study of the nature of spirit and matter, is the subject matter for persons who are inclined to speculate and understand things by experiential knowledge and philosophy. The other class of men work in Krishna consciousness, as explained in the 61st verse of the second chapter. The Lord has explained, uh, also in the 39th verse, that by working in the by working, uh, by working by the principles of Buddha Yoga or Krishna consciousness, one can be relieved from the bonds of action, and therefore there is no flaw in the process. The same principle is more clearly explained in the 61st verse, that this Buddha Yoga is to depend entirely on the Supreme, or more specifically on Krishna. In this way, all the senses can be brought under control very easily. Therefore, both the yogas are in, this is my favorite, one of my favorite sentences. Therefore, both the yogas are interdependent as religion and philosophy. Religion without philosophy is sentiment, and so, or sometimes fanaticism, while philosophy without religion is Avon calling, is mental speculation. Somebody joined us, area code 917-783-4541. Welcome. Holly. Okay. Um, <clears throat> any questions on that? Why, why is it here? What? Why is it one of your favorites? What oh, does just, it mean? Oh. Like, what, what touches you about it? I guess the kind of yin and yang of it all, you know, the balance between philosophy, you know, because I, I, I see it. As a matter of fact, it was a funny time when I was used to, um, I was giving a class to some of Gopinath's uh, classmates in Vrindavan, and there's this one young man in the in the uh, in in high school who memorized the entire Bhagavad Gita. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I, it really was sharp <laughs> like that, but it wasn't very good at in, interpersonal stuff. 
So I, so I was teaching them this and I said, uh, what is philosophy without religion? And they said, oh, so-and-so does. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Well, you know, they make fun of me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <I see. laughs> but the fact that Prabhupada, and also the fact, I really appreciate the fact that Prabhupada recognized that religion, religious people can be fanatical mm. if it's not tempered with philosophy. Mm. I really appreciate that. You know? uh, and we see that in the name of pretty much any religion. You name it, you can find it. Right? You can find it in India and in Hinduism. Mm -hmm. You can find it certainly in Islam. You can find it in Judaism. You can find it in Christianity. You can find it. No one's really exempt from it. So I like that that balance. That um, but one one should have a heart, but it should be based on philosophy, not just sentiment. Because mm -hmm. there's also a lot of sentimentalism in in faith-based practices, mm -hmm. right? And that's not. I see that often, like, um, I think I mentioned this already, uh, in, in uh, a family comes from India, they move to America, they, then they bring their, their parents over, their parents are retired, and they're doing some puja, or they have some pictures of Ganesh, and, and then the grandkids look at it, it's like, you know, they, they went to, they're going to high school or, or school, you know, like uh, Arjuna here, you know, and they see that, and they just, you know, it's like, Hot. This is just some kind of sentimental gobbledygook. Mm. They don't have the philosophy. Mm. So you you you, uh, you really a lot of time the the parents don't know themselves because the grandparents have never told them. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And then it just continues on their generation. Yeah, they just worship the incense, the good smell. Yeah, good smell. Without, without knowing why I'm doing. Right. Yeah, the grandparents are really nice people, and yeah, but. Just, you know, yeah. I got. I'm going in a different direction in my life. <laughs> they yeah. think, yeah. mm -hmm. yes. It makes me think a lot about the whole like spiritual but not religious. How that's like that's right. the growing mm -hmm. religion in America, spiritual but not religious. Right. You know? and, and the challenge with that is, um, I mean, that that I, that part of it is for that reason, right? Because mm -hmm. so much bad has happened in the name of religion, right? And also any organization, it doesn't matter what it is has flaws just because organizations have to be organizations yeah. <laughs> you know uh you know even the mother of all organizations what is the what is the longest lasting organization in the world it's the catholic church right in the vatican yeah yeah and it's not like gosh uh, it's not that they haven't made some mistakes <laughs> you know i'm not i'm not even talking about it present stuff i'm talking about you know yeah Oh yeah, the, uh, in the medieval time and yeah, crusade, yeah, the crusades, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the difference between uh, the rest of the Indian in Hindu community and the Prabhupada's philosophy. That even the Prabhupada came from the Hindu Hindu community, but that's the difference between him, his message, and rest of the Hindu community Indians. The philosophy. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. Prabhupada explained mm -hmm. whatever. You all are doing. Yeah. Most of people are doing, but without knowing why I'm doing. Exactly. No exactly. And that's what that's what I know. Ananda's tried to do is make the the Sunday talks really good and philosophical. Yeah. And even if you know more people want to go to another temple for you know cultural or is social reasons, right. come here for yeah. philosophy. Right. Even in Nepal, just as I was trying to tell in my podcast with Michael the other day, 
that person. I've been, so I learned a lot from this con in Potomac of whatever I did while I was growing up. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so, oh, is that what I've been doing all my childhood time? So now I know what I am doing. So. Mm. Yes. So what about extreme examples like Mirabai? What about her? Uh, did she have to know the philosophy? Oh. Mm, that's a good question. Um, well, these are good. <laughs> Thank you. I, I had them before. Yeah, they're nice. I just see. Like fennel? Fennel or something. Oh, pass it. Um, no. If, if someone is... Um, this is a general statement right, for, for general people. But if someone is fortunate enough to take to bhakti and in a bona fide way, but they're just not, um, they're, let's say, simple hearted. Yeah. And, or maybe even can't read. But, I mean, how many, well, I don't know, anyone know the percentage of people in the world that can't read? No. It's, there's, there's certainly a. Substantial. Yeah. Um, for, or, or just, you know, you know, it's not everyone is a, a PhD. <laughs> not everyone is, you know, a, person like you, you know, with so many advanced degrees and everything, or your son. Um, but, uh, or Arjuna, very tight young man. Um, but if they, as long as they're, you know, if they're fortunate enough to connect with a bona fide process, you can get, um, even Srila Prabhupada said that, that, you know, um, people can, if they, if they chant properly, they can get all perfections just by chanting. They don't have to get into the whole philosophical thing. You know, like uh, Ba. Yeah, at her age, does she have to care about, you know, Sankhya philosophy? Right. <laughs> right. She just chants and... Oh. Oh. The, the, does she, I don't she's here right now? No, she's so not she's here right in, now. Yeah. She may be in India. Yeah. No, I heard you both. This is Carl. I just joined. Thanks. Oh, Carl. oh from Iceland. Hey. Hi. How you doing? Hi, Bo. <laughs> can you hear us? Yep, I can. Okay, cool. Hello, good. Okay, we actually we're actually on video also, but um, that you don't need to see me. So <laughs> this is fine. Great. So we're on verse four of the third chapter. So not by merely not by merely abstaining from work can one achieve freedom from reaction. Because you're thinking, oh, well, if I don't work, right? If I don't do much, just go to the forest. But you breathe. Microbes come in, they die. You know, you walk, you step on ants. You know, you're doing stuff. Yeah. You can't be totally karma-free by just sitting still. Even, you know, <laughs> even Jane's trying to do that. Right? They, yeah. they cover their mouth. You know, so. Yeah. so. Nor by renunciation alone can one achieve perfection. So Krishna's going to keep on. Arjuna's going to say, basically say, "Come on, Krishna, can you just let me get out of here and go to the forest and not have to do this war?" And every time Krishna's going to say. <laughs> no. <laughs> nice try, Arjun. <laughs> right. Everyone is forced to act helplessly according to the qualities he has acquired from the modes of material nature. Therefore, no one can refrain from doing something, not even for a moment. On the purport, Prophet writes, the beginning of the purport. It is not a question of embodied life, but it is the nature of the soul to be always active. We are always active. 
Without the presence of the spirit soul, the material body cannot move. The body is only a dead vehicle to be worked by the spirit soul, which is always active and cannot stop even for a moment. As such, the spirit soul has to be engaged in the good work of Krishna consciousness. Otherwise, it will be engaged in occupations dictated by the illusory energy. So, so everyone is forced to act helplessly according to the qualities he has acquired from the most. So, so we have our choice to serve Krishna or not. But if we choose not to, we still have some, when we talked about this last, we still have some free will, but a lot of it is dictated by the three modes of material nature that we are attracted to because of karma from previous lives. Right? So that's what it's, you know, so that's what it means by helpless that you know we just we're 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 uh, at the mercy of our karma to a large extent. Not to a complete extent, but to a large extent. Whereas if we take to Krishna consciousness, that can be transcended. And it's it's not it's not like completely transcendent. Like if you don't, there's a certain vegetable you don't like. Okay? Just, you know. Do you have a vegetable you don't like? Beetroots. Beetroots. Okay. Yeah. Like I, can, I, I agree with that. <laughs> um, so it's not that if you become an absolute pure devotee, necessarily you're going to start liking beetroot. You know, because the part of our the karma or our manifest karma is the body we have. Mm -hmm. So that might not, even though it's beetroot prasadam, we still might take it because of prasadam and therefore feel ecstatic with the prasadam. But yeah, you, you get the point. Yeah. 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 Okay. So then in the next verse, one who restrains the senses of action but whose mind dwells on sense objects certainly deludes himself. And is called a pretender. Mm. <clears throat> so it's like there's a saying in, in Hindi, I think it is, uh, drinking water underwater on a fast day. Right. <laughs> so you're fasting, you, you say you're doing near gel, no water, anything, but you take a bath in the lake or something like that. <laughs> and when you're down, no one's. <laughs> 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 <Right>. <laughs> Oh, it's a saying. I, I, it's a saying. It's a saying. Drinking water underwater. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> On the other hand, if a sincere person tries to control the active senses by the mind and begins karma yoga, which means action in Krishna consciousness without attachment, he is far superior. So, and then this beautiful sentence at the end. A sincere sweeper in the street is far better than the charlatan meditator who meditates only for the sake of making a living. Mm -hmm. okay. So the, these two verses go well together, those two, uh, the last one and this one. So the idea is, um, so the solution is back to verse 59 that we studied last week, that it, when you get a higher taste, when you're enjoying Krishna consciousness and the the attractions of this world become pale and you don't have to be a pretender um, because you're naturally attracted to Krishna mm -hmm. now that now this does not mean by the way that um, it's still better 
to avoid the sense objects, this, connecting these senses with the sense objects, um, even if we still have an attraction to them. Right? We wouldn't be, we're not a pretender, you know, if we, you know, it's just like, um, you know, we're still attracted to that third Kulab Jaman or something, but we don't have it because we know, you know, so that doesn't mean we're a pretender. Well, we really should have just had it because who wants to be a pretender? That's not the point here. It's funny though, because it's true what you're like about the higher taste. This is just a silly example, but when we lived in Florida, when it would get really hot in the summer, we would often go to the mall and we'd just walk around there just to get right. out, you know, because it's too hot to be outside. And so twice now, when it's been cold here, we've gone to the mall, like Montgomery. Yeah. Okay. I well, I've heard that you've been there. Yeah. And it's no. way <laughs> you got to report, right? And it's way nicer that mall than the one in Gainesville that we right. used to go to. And twice we've been, and twice we left, and we were like, that was not like that was awful. Like we just didn't enjoy being there. And it was funny because nothing had changed. You would think, if anything, this mall was nicer than the right. old mall. Well, it's you know? it's more expensive for sure. Yeah, yeah. but we've. Uh, like, yeah, Norton was saying, like, yeah, well, that happens, like, when your taste changes. When your taste changes. And it's not like we were relishing the mall in Florida or something, but it was, like, a nice hour just to walk around mm -hmm. out of the heat, you know? I used to go to that mall when I, after I had my open heart surgery, because it was in the winter, and I was supposed to walk, mm -hmm. and I couldn't uh, walk outside so much. I yeah. didn't want to fall. So I was, you know, inching along the first few days. <laughs> Henry was there holding <laughs> my tread and pull back. <laughs> <laughs> Perform your prescribed duty, for doing so is better than not working. One cannot even maintain one's physical body without work. So he's telling Arjun, your work, by the way, is, you know, you're a chatra, you're a warrior. <clears throat> work done as a sacrifice for Vishnu has to be performed. Otherwise, work causes bondage in this material world. Therefore, O son of Kunti, another name for Arjuna, perform your prescribed duties for his satisfaction and that way, you will always remain free from bondage. And the second paragraph, the first sentence says, Therefore, one has to work for the satisfaction of Vishnu. Any other work done in this material world will be the cause, a cause of bondage. For both good and evil work have their reactions. And any reaction binds the performer. So, again, it's, it's a concept that is a little different than if we, from the Judeo-Christian background, right? So there's bad work, there's good work, and there's transcendental work. Okay, so you can be a good person and not necessarily spiritual. For example, you know, walking old ladies across the street is a good thing to do, right? Um, but it's not necessarily. It's it, it, and we can do good things and spiritual things in, where we're at, but but um, but it's not in and of itself transcendental. If you give her some prashadam at the end, that's transcendental. <laughs> uh, or it, it, a very a traditional thing in, in bygone days in India was to plant um, fruit trees mm. along a path for pilgrims so that they could actually just pull the fruit, offer it to Krishna, and eat it. Right? And I remember it's so funny because um, how topsy-turvy the world is today. So I remember one time we were driving down um, 95 is the one that goes to Florida on the East Coast, right? And so, welcome to the Sunshine State. And they had orange groves on the side of the road. So we just, you know, we were young men, I'm probably in my late 20s, pulled over and grabbed some of the oranges oh, no. and offered them to Krishna. And they're, they're totally bitter. 
<laughs> and apparently they plant these just for <laughs> just for the uh, you know for the, eyes, like, yeah. don't mean, right? to look nice, but they don't they certainly don't want anyone eating it, you know. Or to, <laughs> so it's the exact opposite. You know? mm. it's, it's just there for the aesthetics. <laughs> so so um, but if we only do good things without spiritual things. The good things also bind us to this world. They, they bind us to, you know, a higher birth. But as, uh, but as far as the practical life of a devotee is concerned, we generally um, do, trend, we try to do transcendental things, but usually we can't do that 24 seven. So if we <laughs> fall, quote unquote, air, uh, air quotes, fall down from, <laughs> Transcendental things, we should fall down to doing good things, mm. not fall down to doing bad things. Mm. <laughs> like that. So, are good, <clears throat> good things that are done are the ones that are done in order for goodness? Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah, just like I try, I, sometimes I really focus on this. I'm not always successful, but as I'm driving to work, I'm thinking, okay, I'm gonna, I'm, today I'm gonna be pleasant with every single person I meet mm. and really be in the uh, a good state of mind. It says the internet connection is unstable. Can you guys still hear me? I know you're on mute. They're on mute, I would guess. Hello? Can you unmute and confirm that you're still live? I'm still, you can hear me? Oops. Did you text them? Um, I haven't gotten text from them, so they can't hear us. You would think that if they heard us, they would go off of mute for a second to... They might be driving. Well, Carl's in the airport, and Paul oh. might be driving back okay. from the doctor. Okay. Because right. we could call in also. It just, it just said it for a second. Um, okay. Anything else? Uh, so so this is the um, the end of the first section. This first section, you know, answer this question by Arjuna, right? And now the next section is going to talk about going from following the Vedas for enjoyment and then leading us again back to working for Krishna's pleasure. And so we're going through that process for some verses now. Right, um, it's from 10 to... I don't remember. I don't remember. Well, I'll, I'll let you know when we get there. Okay, so um, but that was, that's an important verse, what we just read, that work as a sacrifice for Vishnu, another name for Krishna, has to be performed, otherwise work binds us. Mm. And therefore we should perform our duties for Krishna's satisfaction. So now, a change of topic. Okay, In the beginning of creation, the Lord of all creatures sent forth generations of men and demigods, along with sacrifices for Vishnu, and blessed them by saying, Be thou happy by this yagnas, which is sacrifice in Sanskrit, because its performance will bestow upon you everything desirable for living happily and achieving liberation. So this is focused, although Prabhupada brings it to the stage of going back to Godhead and the purport, this is more focused on demigod worship, which is also on that good platform, not transcendental platform. And that's explained more as we go along. The demigods being pleased by sacrifices will also please you. And thus, by cooperation between men and demigods, prosperity will reign for all. So this was the tradition in ancient India in the Vedic times that there was an understanding of demigods, just as in um, in um, uh, 
Greek, the Greek tradition, right? There's a whole idea of uh, understanding of demigods, right? Zeus and you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, was, yeah. Zeus is like Indra, <laughs> right? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah? Okay. Um, but you can see here, if you look at it, if you read the translation carefully, it's basically saying, you scratch the demigod's back, he scratches yours. Mm. It's kind of a business transaction. Mm. Whereas the relationship we want to have with Krishna is not a business deal. It's a deal of the heart. So, ocean demigod is not on a transcendental platform. So, what platform do you think? Mm, depends on the demigod. Depends on what you want from them. Like, um, right? Because well, some people worship a demigod to kill their enemy. Hmm. Right? And others uh, worship it more in the mode of passion, like, you know, um, you know, I need uh, you know, uh, a Porsche I mean, or whatever. Asking something behind it. Asking for something. You almost always ask for something. That's what this is saying, basically. You generally ask for something. I mean, we also ask Krishna for something. Mm -hmm. What do we ask Krishna for? Service. Yeah, service. In that case, Shiva. Yeah, Shiva. He's, a, he's the chief. Yeah. So, okay, so this, let's, okay, if we're getting a little technical about demigod worship, which is fine. <laughs> there is a bona fide way to worship demigods. And um, that is, if we worship them as a anga of Krishna, as we see them as connected to Krishna. Mm -hmm. And so really we're thinking of Krishna mainly, mm -hmm. right? As we're worshiping. So that's how Bharat Maharaj in the fifth canto of the Bhagavatam worship the demigods. Right? But they're not, gimme, 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 mm -hmm. which is, you know, the, uh, the standard thing. I think we've talked about that song by... Uh, what's her name? How did I go? You know, oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Oh. My Lord, my, you know what's that? Yeah, that's where he quoted. My friends all have Porsches. Porsches. I must make amends. She's making fun of that, that, you know, people approach God. And I'm sure if we knew what, what some people's what a lot of us probably minds when they go in front of Radha Madama, who knows what they're asking for? <laughs> I don't want to know. Oh. Yeah. Right. Um, but, uh, but okay. So, so that's that's transcendental. We see the demigods as angas of Krishna. Now, there's also a verse, a very important verse in the second canto of the Bhagavatam that says, "Akama, sarvakamova, moksha kama udharati." It says, "Whatever you want, if you just want pure devotion, that means akama. You have no kama means lust or desire." You have no desire. Sarva karma, you have all kinds of desires. Right? Moksha karma, you just want to get freed from the anxieties of this material world. Worship Krishna. Forget, you know, don't go to the demigods. Just worship Krishna directly. Whatever you have, because Krishna will purify. But, um, but one can worship the demigods in the different modes of nature. Um, one can really try to satisfy them so that in the next life they can go to the heavenly planets. So that would be in the mode of goodness. Um, one can just want stuff here, you know, give, uh, you know, 70 inch color TV or my son getting into Harvard or, you know, whatever, you know, um, usually it's some, uh, some mitigation of distress, but because you see, everything has to be put into perspective because also we can, uh, uh, we can worship Krishna with that in mind. And, that's not pure devotion, but it's called sukritina. It's called pious. Discretina means 
I think we talked about this already. I got this, you know, Krishna. I don't need. I don't need God. Don't want him. I'm just depending on my own. I, you know, I'm depending on my. I don't. You know, who needs God when he's only? He's just created a mess in this world anyway. You know, people think in this way. Right. So that would be uh, a discretina. This is. We're going to get to this in the fifteenth and sixteenth verse of the fourth chapter. <clears throat> okay. Um, so now we'll read a little bit of the purport. This is like the third sentence. For one who cannot understand what this personality of Godhead is, say, so they don't know about God, sacrifice to the demigods is recommended. In other words, in the Vedas, there's parts of it. Talk about that. According to the different material qualities of the person's concerned, different types of sacrifices are recommended in the Vedas. Worship of different demigods is also on the same basis, namely according to different qualities, which means the three modes. For example, the meat eaters are recommended to worship the goddess Kali, ghastly form of material nature, and before the goddess of uh, the sacrifice of animals is recommended. Of course, it's um, it really discourages meat eating ultimately because you whisper in the ear of the animal before you butcher it that in the next life you can do this to me that probably cuts down on the meat eating a little bit <laughs> you're very reckless like i don't care <laughs> or, yeah yeah um yeah and you could obviously uh, people most people don't have this understanding of um next life and therefore based because of that from a Bhagavad Gita point of view, we are living um, irresponsible lives. Not knowing that we're going to be very responsible for what we do in this life. Right? Like that. Yeah. Obviously, if, that, if people really understood that, the, the meat section in Giants would go out of business quite quickly. <laughs> I was thinking, could you imagine if they had this picture up? Yes. <laughs> it's um, it, when we have that like on a college campus, we put it on a table a little bigger. And people like, <laughs> outside of McDonald's. <clears throat> One should know, however, this is a few lines down, that all the necessities of life that the human society requires are supplied by the demigod agents of the Lord. So agents of the Lord, right? Um, so no one can manufacture anything. Take, for example, all the edibles of human society. These edibles include grains. Where do grains come from? The earth, right? Yeah, right. What we eat is grain. Fruits comes from the earth. Vegetables. Uh, milk comes from the cow. And where did, how does she get her nutrients? From the earth, right? Sugar, same, etc. That's why uh, earth is some of, sometimes called sarva kamadukamati, the supplier of all um, necessities, of all desires. Because when you think about it, everything we're wearing is from the earth, right? This is from the earth. This is from the earth. Right? The earth really is Mother Earth. Mothers, the mothers supply things to us, to their children, right? Mother Earth is supplying everything. It's not because of us. 
it's not because you know we you know we bought Amazon when it was uh, at twelve dollars a share or whatever. You know, all mm -hmm. you you know. We just had that. We were driving to Florida and we stopped at a cotton field, and I'd never really seen the cotton plant before. Mm -hmm. And it's a cotton ball. Like I couldn't believe it. Like it's just like you get in Rite Aid. Like I couldn't believe it. It looks exactly the same. Mm -hmm. I don't know. To me, a cotton ball looked so sterile and pharmaceutical, mm -hmm. but there it was, just on the plant, like made perfectly. <laughs> like it was like so amazing. Yeah. Like the earth just provides all these things. All these things, but because we're so uh, modern civilization, especially in the city, I grew up in the city. Um, is so detached from agrarian life. And agrarian life is much easier in one sense to believe in God because, you know, you, you, it's so obvious you're dependent. Yeah. Right? If it doesn't rain for three months, the crops, yeah. right? or if it rains too much. Mm -hmm. I remember that son in the USA did say. A little louder so that everyone can hear you. When our son said once, you know, about the orange juice. Uh -huh. oh. You know, and so. He, um, he tasted an orange, really. Like he drank orange juice before. Juice before, and then orange later on. Well, how did the juice get here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, he said he always drank a juice before, and then one day he was really big, and then I had a piece of orange in the mouth, and he said, oh, it just, it just tastes like orange juice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he had that before. <laughs> I didn't know orange just tastes like orange juice. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. So, hmm. So for the person, so those are things for the person in the mode of goodness, right? Mm. And also edibles for the non-vegetarians like meats, none of which can be manufactured by men. Then again, take for example heat, light, water, air, etc., which are also necessities of life. None of them can be manufactured by the human society. You can twist them around in a factory and things like that, but the the original source, source mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. is is all from god mm. i remember they saying that during the uh, eclipse that her brother was at a place where the total eclipse was mm. happening and that he was telling her that it was he was surprised by how clear it was that we live on such a dark cold planet mm. that without the sun it's this is just a dark cold planet amazing yeah, yeah can you imagine if we didn't have the sun where son just like took vacation for a few weeks. <laughs> oh, man, I've been doing this for a long time. <laughs> I need a break, right? It would be. I mean, yeah, just like, like today. Yeah. Oh well, it wouldn't yeah. even right. Yeah. It, yeah, it'd be awful. Yeah. <laughs> a little further down, if we forget the purpose of human life and simply take supplies from the agents of the Lord for sense gratification and become more and more entangled in material existence, which is not the purpose of creation, certainly we become thieves, and therefore we are punished by the laws of nature, material nature. Because that's what it says here, right? Without offering them back, you become stena eva saha, a thief. Mm. Now here's a nice thing about prashadam. The devotees of the Lord are released from all kinds of sins because they eat food which is offered first for sacrifice. Others who prepare food for personal sense enjoyment barely eat only sin. So again, that whole idea, that acknowledging that this food is coming from the Lord and therefore offering it back to Him as a form of sacrifice is, is appropriate. Otherwise, to just, you know, not make any connection between God and what we're eating and just, you know. Yeah, 
just... remember someone asked the question in one of the lectures down in Gentry Room. Um, if everything comes from God, which one, then why do you have to give him half of it? Just this. Hmm. I forgot the answer was. Well, okay. Um, you're a parent, right? You have, a, a, you have one son and a one, daughter? A girl and a boy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's um, just like this. So if, uh, if, if you give your child an allowance, let's say, right? And, uh, you know, generally they, they go off and spend it, you know, whatever, right? But if sometime they save up some money, right? And then maybe for your anniversary or for your birthday, they give you a present. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> so now you know how Krishna feels, <laughs> right? Yeah. If you feel, feel like, like wow, because we're part of Krishna, right? yeah, you feel like that because we're yeah. in His image. Yeah, yeah. I even exactly. So, you, yeah. So you just imagine how you, you know your heart just melts mm -hmm. when and you think, God, they, they, you know, instead of going off and just doing their own thing, they actually, you know, took that and gave it back to me as this gift you know what a kind thing even if it was you know you know a big pen you know whatever you know you did you buy from the money i gave you so so um because he's a person yeah exactly exactly anything else how we doing time wise gosh time flies all living bodies subsist. Oh, so this is interesting. This is making a connection between the traditional Vedic system and God and Krishna. Yeah. All living bodies subsist on food grains, which are produced from rains and vegetables, etc. Rains are produced by performance of sacrifice, yagya. That's that's the tradition in the Vedic idea that you know, um, and and sacrifice yagya is born of prescribed duties. And then the next verse says, regulated activities are prescribed in the Vedas, and the Vedas are directly manifest from the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Consequently, the all-pervading transcendence is eternally situated in the acts of sacrifice. So basically what Krishna is trying to do is make a link, um, is established between you know someone who's materialistic and attached and their dependency on food and ultimately their dependency on Krishna. That's what's going on here. In the previous purport, there's one sentence I wanted to read. When Lord Krishna is worshipped, the demigods who are different limbs of the Lord are also automatically worshipped. Mm. Therefore, there is no separate need to worship the demigods. Mm -hmm. oh, I'm sorry, it's, uh, you know, it's about uh, one-third of the way down in the first paragraph of verse 14. Sorry, I should have said it. So we're on text 16. My dear Arjuna, one who does not follow in human life the cycle of sacrifice thus established by the Vedas. So again, this is still on the good platform, not the transcendental. You know. um, certainly leads a life full of sin. Living only for the satisfaction of the senses, such a person lives in vain. And I'm just going to read the second sentence. Therefore, for those who want to enjoy this material world, the above-mentioned cycle of uh, performing yagyas is absolutely necessary. Oh, but I, uh, hold on. Oh, and then the verse before, the, the line before, the, the mammonist philosophy of work very hard and enjoy sense gratification 
is condemned herein by the Lord. Um, and there are people, that's really kind of a Tomasic motive, ignorance thing that, you know, just work. <laughs> they say work hard, play hard. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Work hard, come home, crack open a beer, get out the potato chips, sit in front of the TV, and... And if you watch the news, get really depressed. <laughs> and if you, you know, uh, binge watch some, you know, TV show, you get temporary relief from all the other stress. But then, you know, after the show's over, you're back to where you were, basically. Yeah. I noticed uh, uh, some years ago, I started noticing that uh, every time you say. Separate. Speak a little louder. We separate and we say enjoy. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> yes, enjoy. it's a standard saying. Isn't it? <laughs> you know, enjoy. 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 Wow. <laughs> yeah, so at the same time, I'm learning disaster. You know, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Have a good weekend. Enjoy. Yeah, yeah. it's true. We used to say that at Krishna lunch in Gainesville a lot, you know, because you give the plate enjoy, like it's yeah. often said with food, you know. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's yeah. probably good to yeah. give them to enjoy prasadam. Yeah. When children come home from birthday party or something, someone will be like, oh, what, did, did you enjoy it? Yeah, yeah. right, right. Yeah. yeah, because that's that's why we're here. That's the measure. Yeah. Where you, uh, you know, have a good weekend, have a very devotional um, attitude towards God this weekend. What happened to him? <laughs> what kind of drugs is he on? <laughs> is he on? <laughs> Would you say that to your friends at school? At school? <laughs> you guys have a very devotional weekend. But here's what real enjoyment is. But for one who takes pleasure in the self, whose human life is one of self-realization, and who is satisfied in the self alone, fully satiated, for him there is no duty. So this is the transcendental stuff. Meaning duty means... Uh, yeah, um, especially the attitude that I have to work hard just to take care of myself. Um, and that's the only purpose of life. That's, you know, uh, in other words, we have duties, also spiritual duties. And we may even have, and it's going to be explained a little further here, but maybe I won't I'll wait, to that, wait till we get there. But um, we can do our duties very similarly to someone else, and it's still very different because of the intention. A self-realized man has no purpose to fulfill in the discharge of his prescribed duties. So again, this, so this is a good platform. I just do my job. I do my duties. I do the right thing because it's meant to be done. I don't care about heat and cold, or you know, is it going to make me happy? Am I going to enjoy? Am I not going to enjoy? No, it's the right thing to do mm. i do it that's that's a good basis to jump to this spiritual platform it's not spiritual in itself but it's definitely very good mm. right? otherwise all day long our minds are going crazy about what will make us happy what won't, won't make us happy go for the you know try to do the things that will make us happy try to avoid things that won't make us happy and just mm. you know it's like we're you know we're not I, I always thought it would be interesting to um you know, watch, well, here in America we call it soccer, right? But Or football in Europe and, 
and uh, most of the other parts of the world. And just forget the players, just follow the ball. <laughs> and that's kind of like who we are in the modes of material nature. We're just getting kicked around mm. like a ball in a soccer thing. <laughs> right? Um, so a person who is like this first, not, you know, it's just, you know, I'm supposed to do this. It's meant to be done. And I do it. Now, if you add Krishna and devotion to that, then it becomes transcendental. This person is such a good yeah. platform. Mm -hmm. You must have known many people like that growing up, right? Didn't you know people that they just, it might not have been super religious, oh, yeah, but they, yeah, it's absolutely. my duty, I take care of my yeah. family, whatever, right? Including my own family. Yeah, I'm sure it's very much prevalent in right. those days. I don't, sorry, I cut you off. So, no, and they can be very atheistic. Yeah, I know. That's why I'm saying it's not necessarily spiritual. Yeah, really yeah. And that's it. You know, I live my life. Yeah. They, are, they don't feel like just even to quote what they say. I yeah. don't see any need. Right. Right. Because well, and and it's interesting because they may get some happiness in the mode of goodness, and then and and one of the problems with the mode of goodness is it can be you can kind of be kind of satisfied, mm -hmm. you know. It's all good, you know, because it is better than this than 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 grossly trying to just satisfy one's senses. Because sometimes those people can be very austere. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. You don't see it so much in America and India, and and it's changing in India a lot also. But I remember when I first moved there in the eighties, you know, people like that. Mm -hmm. Prabhupada writes in the purport, very first sentence. A self-realized man is no longer obliged to perform any prescribed duties save and accept activities in Krishna consciousness. So that can be, for us, it's Krishna consciousness, or like a lot of us have, uh, well, especially, yeah, some of us, right? We have outside jobs. So then we do our duty and as much as possible remember Krishna. Therefore, without being attached to the fruits of activities, one should act as a matter of duty, for by working without attachment, one attains the Supreme. Prabhupada writes, in the, just the end of that first paragraph, to be a good man or a non-violent man is a personal attachment. But to act on behalf of the Supreme is to act without attachment for the result. That is perfect action of the highest degree recommended by the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Shri Krishna. So there's the difference between the good and the transcendental. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now he Krishna gives an example. Kings such as Janaka. Janaka was mm -hmm. uh, the husband, the father of Sita. Lord Ramachandra's consort. Attained perfection solely by performance of prescribed duties. Therefore, just for the sake of educating the people in general, you should perform your work. So there's a... How are we doing time-wise? There's an interesting story of Janak Maharaj. Um, so he was at a, a kata, a discussion about Krishna. Um, and there were a lot of sages there also. Brahm, um, you know, yes, sages. And of course, he was a king. He was a very exalted person. Um, and very responsible person. 
So as the story goes, uh, he's hearing about Krishna from the speaker, and one of the ministers comes running in, out of breath, Maharaj, Maharaj, the, 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 there's a fire in, in, in the kingdom and, and it could, you know, it could actually, you know, affect the treasury. And Janaka Maharaj says, okay, so do this, do this, contact this person, contact this person, please go ahead and do this right away. Maharaj, Maharaj, aren't you going to come and help? Aren't you going to, no, no, I'm, I'm listening to the, to the Bhagavatam, but you please do this, 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 and this, go do it right away. And he takes off. Okay, so then the next story, <laughs> as the story goes anyway, is, um, um, another person runs in and uh, often saintly people the sadhus, the renunciates they live in the outskirts of the village right? and they have very few possessions right? and so uh, one of them is like a loincloth kind of like a, it's like a underwear that you just um, that's just a cloth basically okay and so they, they ran up to to the to the renunciate there's a fire in near your huts and and your you know you're gonna your loincloth is going to get on fire and they all run out and try to save their <laughs> so that's the difference between Janak Maharaj and uh, his whole kingdom yeah. <laughs> yeah and then this is a very important verse and it's um, whatever actions a great okay? whatever actions a great man performs, common men follow, and whatever standard he sets by exemplary acts, all the world pursues. Mm. So it's kind of like that saying, right? That what what you are speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. Mm. Right. So we have to remember that um, we are almost always, in one sense, set an example. Um, yeah. yeah. I learned this verse in serious place. You did? And do you act upon it? Uh, I kind of forget what it means. But like... It means that um, people notice what you're like. And if they notice that you're like a really good person, then that's that kind of encourages them to be a good person. And if they notice that you're a liar and a cheater and all that sort of stuff, they, they notice that also. People notice what we do. Yeah. That's why it was always it was always um, good to go out in public like this because I can't like be mean to people or it would be a real jerk or double park or something. <laughs> you know. Yeah. They're gonna think. What are they gonna think of the devotees? You know, can't hide. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and Prabhupada talks about that here. Here's the example right here at the beginning of the purport. People in general always require a leader who can teach the public by practical behavior. A leader cannot teach the public to stop stop smoking if he himself smokes. Mm -hmm. right, so that's that famous story of Mahatma Gandhi, yeah. right, that we told right, about the sweets. Mm. Yeah. Text 22, Osana Prita, another name for Arjuna. There is no work prescribed for me within all the three worlds. Krishna can do whatever he wants. He's God. Nor am I in want of anything, nor do I have a need to obtain anything. And yet, I am engaged in prescribed duties. For if I ever fail to engage in carefully performing prescribed duties, O Karta, certainly all men would follow my path. Mm. So Krishna sets examples. Now you might say, oh, wait a second. <laughs> in Vrindavan, 
No. So basically, what what oh, we, they said the internet connection is unstable again. Hopefully, they're still there. Um, so here's an important point to the last sentence in from the Srimad Bhagavatam. It is understood that Lord Krishna was performing all the religious duties at home and out of home as required of a householder. So if you want to get technical about this, it's specifically referring to him in Dwarka mm. when he was a married person, um, very married. 16,108 times. <laughs> um, but he did do things a little differently than us, even then. Because like when we wake up in the morning, it's for those who are like uh, myself who are second initiated, so we have this thread and we chant mantras at the sandhyas, uh, when the sun is rising during the midday and the sun is setting. What mantra do you chant? Well, that I would, that's, um, that, that's that, not so public. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah you, you have to get second initiated to... All the much, but actually, there's some of them are stated in the and you know, everyone, <laughs> anyone in India knows uh, the Gayatri mantra, Om Bor Bhuva Swa, it's just pretty well known mantra. Uh, so you know, when I do it, I'm meditating on Krishna, and when Krishna does it, he meditates on himself. Mm-hmm. So I'm not told to meditate on myself, <laughs> so that, that is a uh, that's a difference. But Krishna did actually, when you know, he, and even in Vrindavan, he actually was setting the best example in Vrindavan. You just have to understand the inner understanding, right? Because you might say, well, he's dancing with people who aren't his wives in the middle of the night during the Rasa dance, right? He's uh, he's cracking all these jokes and making fun of, you know, doing all kinds of things and mischievous things with his mom and stealing butter and feeding the monkeys with the butter and all that. And every time in Vrindavan, Krishna seemingly did something unusual or even some people would say immoral. It was the only impetus, the only intention was to reciprocate love with his devotees. So in that sense, he set a perfect example, even in Vrindavan. Externally, you know, like in India, sometimes, oh, you, why do you worship Krishna? Why don't you worship Ram? He's so paka, and this Krishna is so chalu. <laughs> He's so uh, tricky and, you know. Chalu is not a nice thing to say, right? Yeah, no, but he's so, you know, he's so they immoral. Chalu, yeah, like a, you know, like a miracle. Yeah. So, but but if you but so it's important for us to understand uh, for us to understand that actually that they're missing the whole point. The whole point is that Krishna was even willing to seemingly act immoral if it exchanged love. So that's why. When he promised, I'm not going to be. In, I'm not going to take sides on the battlefield. Okay, I'll, I'll, Arjuna, I'll drive your chariot, but I'm not going to fight for you. You still want me to be your chariot driver? Yes, I do. Okay, All right. But then he was ready to break his promise when Bhishma was about was you know uh, uh, about to kill Arjuna, right. and he took up a, he took up the wheel of the chariot and was about to finish off Bhishma out of love for his devotee, and actually out of love for both devotees because Bhishma. <laughs> actually enjoyed greatly seeing Krishna running after him and just saying, thank it. you. Yeah, 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 like I'm, I'm good now. <laughs> Perfection of my life. So, oops. Okay, there's still two people on the phone, so. Um, so we're continuing, 24, and we are oh, still over a half hour. And if I, if I did not perform prescribed duties, all the world 
worlds would be put into ruination. I would be the cause of creating unwanted population, and I would thereby destroy the peace of all living beings. So in other words, if God was immoral, I mean, gosh, <laughs> we're in big trouble. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. One of one of you, I think it's the six one four area code, is not on mute anymore. Uh, huh? Yes, okay, I'll I'll put that on mute. This is me. Call. No, no problem. He's in Iceland. Yeah. Oh, he's in Iceland. Yeah. How how cool is that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <It's cool>. <laughs> <laughs> actually, it may be warmer than here. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. Uh, Carl, we have snow. It's we actually have about three inches of snow out there. Yeah, yeah no, actually, actually, I'm at the airport. I'm, I'm about to leave. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, yeah, so you're gonna go to nice warm. It is, it, is, it is cold. It's about ten degrees colder over there. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, but uh, so make sure you go into the hot springs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I will. I will. Okay. And and if you if you um if you do see the northern lights, please uh, take a photo for us to see. <laughs> I will do that. Okay. Safe safe travels. As the ignorant, now here's very, this is the next few verses are also very interesting. As the ignorant perform their duties with attachment to the results. The, oops, one second. The learned may similarly act, but without attachment. So they seem to be doing the same thing. Right? For the sake of leading people on the right path. Now I'm going to get back to the purple because I want to read these in succession. So as not to disturb the minds of ignorant men attached to the fruit of results of prescribed duties, a learned person should not induce them to stop work. Rather, by working in the spirit of devotion, he should engage them in all sorts of activities for the gradual development of Krishna consciousness. So um, this is giving us an idea of uh, helping us also understand how to share Krishna consciousness with others. Mm -hmm. If you just only talk about how terrible this world is mm -hmm. and how you're wasting your life and you're just getting karma and you should stop eating meat or whatever. You know, just all the negative things about this world. Um, that That's not enough. There has to also be the, the positive. You know, it, it, otherwise we're just here. It says, disturbing the minds of the ignorant. We should uh, not induce them to stop work. Okay, so all Maya, just give it all up. Mm -hmm. Rather, teach them how to act in good consciousness. Okay? Mm -hmm. And in the, the verse before 25, just the first sentence. A person in Krishna consciousness and a person not in Krishna consciousness are differentiated by different desires. Mm -hmm. Okay, so 27. This is another famous verse. The, the spirit soul, bewildered by the influence of false ego, thinks himself the doer of activities that are in actuality carried out by the three modes of material nature. So we talked about this already, that um, if we, we think that we're the doer, we, we basically have that choice to serve Krishna or not. If we choose not, much or most of our life is influenced by the three modes of material nature. We have some, again, we have some free will, but we are very much um, carried away by the modes of material nature. 
And um, this will get into a whole, this is a very important discussion in the Bhagavad Gita. The word uh, for doer in Sanskrit is karta. And here it says, is the word karta in this verse? Yes. Um, Kartaham itimanyate. Right, that last line. So if we think that we're the only doer, that's a problem. If, but Krishna says in the fourth chapter, we'll see, he says, I'm not the doer. And here it says, we're not the doer. And the modes of material nature are ultimately inert matter. They're not the doer. So who the heck's the doer? <laughs> so what, what Krishna's doing here, and again, it's one of the subtleties of the Gita, is he emphasizes different things at different times to make a point. Right? So here he's saying, if we think we're, you know, we get everything done because of our greatness or whatever, that is uh, really dumb. Actually, it's called mudha. <laughs> and here, uh, Prabhupada very nicely, he's very kindly saying, uh, bewildered by false ego, but mudha literally means donkey or ass. Mm. Okay. So, um, so if we just think we're the only doer, that's maya. If we think God's the only doer, then we have no free will. Okay, so the idea is that um, we are the doer. Otherwise, why have a Bhagavad Gita telling us do this and don't do that, right? But we're not the only one. Okay, they're combined. The example is sometimes given. Oh, the internet connection is unstable. Um, I think I gave this example last week about the the child lifting up the weight. Right, the child sees their father's, uh, you know, weights, and tries to lift it up, mm. but the child can't do it. Mm. Right, it's just too heavy. But the father is walking by, sees the child in the room, and out of affection, goes stands behind the child, and lifts it up. And sometimes the child's like, "Oh, I'm so powerful." <laughs> right. So the question then is, who's the doer? Mm. You could say the father is, but the father never would have lifted it up if he hadn't seen the child trying to lift it up. So there's that connection there. Man proposes, God disposes. You like that? Okay. You can use that in school tomorrow. <laughs> it's going to become a collaboration. <laughs> yeah. uh, the second sentence, the person in material consciousness is convinced with a little emphasis on that word, convinced by false ego that he is the doer of everything. Mm. He does not know that the mechanism of the body is produced by material nature, which works ultimately under the supervision of the Supreme Lord. Right? Text of the next verse, 28. A one who is in knowledge of the absolute, almighty armed, does not engage himself in the senses and sense gratification, knowing well the difference between work and devotion and work for fruitive results. And I like this first sentence. The knower of the absolute truth is convinced of his awkward position in material association. Where it's awkward. You ever felt awkward? Yeah. <laughs> you ever go to a party or something and you know you like you know you sit in the corner and Everyone seems to be having a good time, and you're like, oh, God, I'm so afraid to talk to anybody here. 
Yeah. Right? Or you ever like go to an, go someplace and everyone's dressed one way and you blew it and you dressed the wrong way. You know, something like that. Work so that's, meetings. What's that? Work big work meetings. Yeah, big work <laughs> Like corporate work. I was wondering if everybody's talking. I don't, I, I can't understand if they understand each other. Mm. Yeah. It's so noisy and, you know. Yeah. yeah. So that's awkward. So we, but, but people in general are at least in a, a dulled comfort in the you know in this world until they get really old or sick right mm. or very distressed about something so but we're not convinced about our awkward position mm. here mm. we're actually all in awkward position because we all have to die next verse bewildered by the modes of material nature the ignorant fully engage themselves in material activities and become attached but the why, this is that point from before, really. But the why should not unsettle them, mm -hmm. although these duties are inferior due to the performer's lack of knowledge. Mm -hmm. it says, persons who are unknowledgeable falsely identify with gross material consciousness and are full of material designations. But then Srila Prabhupada says something really interesting in the next paragraph. Men who are ignorant cannot appreciate activities in Krishna consciousness. And therefore, Lord Krishna advises us not to disturb them and simply waste valuable time. But the devotees of the Lord are more kind than the Lord because they understand the purpose of the Lord. Consequently, they undertake all kinds of risks, like Prabhupada did coming here on a boat, even to the point of approaching ignorant men to try to engage them in acts of Krishna consciousness, which are, absolute necess which are absolutely nece necessary for the human being. So we do approach people. Uh, if there's an art to approaching someone who doesn't know anything about Krishna. Mm -hmm. um, oh, but so we should always leave everyone that we talk to with a favorable impression. Mm -hmm. right? Even if they're not interested in what we have to say, well, okay, thank you very much and have a nice day. Mm -hmm. right? Can I have your book for a second? I remember one time I, you know, I was a little fanatical when I was a young Brahmacharya. So I was... Um, distributing Prabhupada's books, and some people would know I'm not interested. And I remember he once said that if they touch a book, they'll be better. So I used to go, I used to go like this. Well, have a nice day. Blessing. But the amazing thing is that everyone likes prasadam, and, that, yeah. and taking prasadam. <laughs> uh, helps people spiritually. I was at a program last, not a program, but a dinner last night with um, three colleagues um, interesting. One, one from born and raised in India, just moved here recently, although he's married to a woman from America, just married recently. Another was born in India, but moved here when she was two uh, and now is, uh, has a big position in the um, IMF or the World Bank, one of the two. Oh, she used to be in the World Bank, now she's now. And then one was actually born here, but parents of Indian descent, and myself. And it was funny because uh, the person who we were go the home we were going to um, didn't know me, and just saw I signed my name Raju Bihari, so they expected to see somebody from India. And I was the first one to the dinner. Oh, Raju Bihari, <laughs> who are you? <laughs> you know, why is this guy knocking on my door? <laughs> Anyway, it was uh, interesting. One of the things that was interesting is everyone knew that they just loved Iskan Prashadam. Mm. Loved Prashadam, just loved it. You know, 
The other, the woman that was um, uh, working at IMF is very interesting. She, uh, when she was nine years old, she's in her 50s now, I guess, because her kid, her oldest child is 23, so close, late 40s, early 50s. A very accomplished person in the world. When she was nine, her parents took her to New Vrindavan. Mm-hmm. And, they, and she grew up from a traditional family arranged marriage, but, um, uh, but they ate meat. And after the trip to New Vrindavan, she told her parents, I will never eat meat again in this life. And the last 40 years or whatever, she hasn't eaten any meat. And she's and she read Prabhupada's books from nine years old. She said, I, after, right from nine years old, I just like asked my parents if we could buy some of those books. And so that was pretty cool. Therefore, Arjuna, surrendering all your works unto me, with full knowledge of me, without desire for profit, with no claims for proprietorship, and free from lethargy, fight. So if you look at this carefully, Full knowledge is, is mode of goodness. Desire for profit and proprietorship is more than mode of passion. Mm-hmm. And lethargy, mm. lethargy, you know what lethargy means? Kind of like um, laziness. Okay. And lethargy um, is mode of ignorance. Mm-hmm. So he's saying be free from those modes mm-hmm. and surrender to me. Those persons who execute their duties according to my injunctions. So you see how Krishna's gone in this section from doing things for the demigods, you scratch my back, God scratch yours, now leading us to towards pure devotion. Those persons who execute their duties according to my injunctions and who follow this teaching faithfully, without envy, become free from the bondage of fruitive actions. Can I ask a question about the last verse? Sure. I know devotees are always saying like um, people interpret the Bhagavad Gita impersonally. Mm-hmm. And they say like Krishna says me so many times. Right. And like how do people possibly interpret that impersonally? But can you act like how would someone interpret text thirty impersonally? Um, how could you do that? Well let's see. Mayi, so Mayi is unto me. Sanyasa Karmani. Sarvani Karmani. All Sarvani means all Karmani activities. Sanyasya. Um Usually what they would say is, as far as I can understand, he would say, yes, Krishna is saying this, but it really what he means is that you should surrender the unborn within Krishna. Mm. This is called Sagun Brahman. Sa means with, guna means qualities. Brahman means spiritual. So this is Krishna, but the real thing is Nirguna Brahman without qualities. Mm. Um, um, so we also say, so we correct them and say, yes, we also think you should worship Nirguna Brahman. And that means by Nirguna, it just we, we interpret that to be without material qualities. Mm. But, it, you know, it, it, when you really think about it, you see what happens is we don't think about it very carefully. And therefore, we're just saying anytime we've ever seen a person, there's been, that person has a lack of something they lack, and causes sometimes a lot of problems. And then also, if God is really a person, why is there so much? Why is this world so messed up? Why doesn't he just fix it all? Mm-hmm. Misunderstanding the fact that Krishna gives this world independence I mean, um, and to act and therefore you know, doesn't interfere with our karma. Um, what was I getting at? 
What did I just say? <laughs> <laughs> There's something in my mind. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm testing you guys. What did I just say? <laughs> Anyone well, remember? Here, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the um, world is full of uh, miseries. Oh, thank you. Krishna. Right, right, right. So, okay, so they said, yeah, so, um, so Krishna, 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 Right, I did say that. What did I say before that? You're saying at the, you were saying at the mistake that people make. Oh, oh, right, right. I got it. I got it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, um, and, and they, uh, and when you think of a person, right, like, like DK is there, but DK is not there. Right. So how can limited, God yeah. be? Yeah, yeah. You when you when you limit you when you say God is a person, you're limiting him. Mm -hmm. Right. That's the point. But actually, when we think of most things in this world, um, there's a person behind it. Right. Right. You know, yeah. I mean, not not only Steve Jobs behind this, but so many engineers, yeah. so many electricians, so many you know things. The microphone, this pen. So many people designed, you know, simple big pen, right? Uh, everything that we see that was that's created, um, there's a person behind it. Mm -hmm. Right. So actually, the little deeper thought it makes more sense. Yeah, it makes yeah. more sense. Yeah. yeah. It just seems strange to read that, like, surrender your work onto me with full knowledge of me, and think that he doesn't mean me. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I don't yeah, of course, Prabhupada is translating that, you know, but yeah. still, you're right. Yeah, because it does says mai, which means unto yeah. me. It's even crazier, it's even harder when I think it's um, the end of the ninth chapter and also in the 18th chapter where Krishna uses the word mum three times. Mm. And uh, Vishnath Chakravarti Thakur keeps on saying, Krishna's pointing to his chest, me. <laughs> <laughs> Not like this energy. Uh, is that okay? Yeah. All right. So back to the tattva. Yeah. Be Brahma. Tattva be Brahma. Yeah, tattva be Right. Yeah, that we are not realizing the fact that uh, somebody who could have must have somebody must have created the power right. behind such an immense thing we can't even think about. Could be just a person who is one here, could not be anywhere else. Yeah, because that's right. Yeah, you don't understand the philosophy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah and this world's so vast. I mean, what some some scientists think that there are probably more planets than there are grains of sand in this planet. Mm. Mm. You think all the universes? <laughs> Scary. So you know, and then we think we're very important. Mm. Or the fat tire that we got yesterday was like, you know, the deal and then, oh my God. <laughs> but those who out of envy disregard these teachings and do not follow them regularly are considered bereft of all knowledge, be fooled and ruined in their endeavors for perfection. So this is, I remember I told you last week that Krishna often uses um, comparison. What was the word? It's not comparison that I'm looking for. Um, contrast. contrast. Thank you. Contrast. So mm -hmm. last, this is all the good stuff, but if not, you get all this bad stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, even a man of knowledge acts according to his own nature. For everyone follows the nature he has acquired from the three modes, what can repression accomplish? So in other words, mm -hmm. if you don't surrender to Krishna, you really are very much controlled by the modes of material nature. There are principles to regulate attachment and aversion pertaining to the senses and their objects. 
One should not come under the control of such attachment and aversion because they are stumbling blocks. I always like this word, paripantanol in Sanskrit. It even sounds like a stumbling block. Yeah. They are stumbling blocks on the path of self-realization. And the purport prophet says in the first sentence, those who are in Krishna consciousness are naturally reluctant to engage in material sense gratification. But those who are not in such consciousness should follow the rules and regulations of the revealed scriptures. So part of the Vedas say, okay, so you're not a devotee? All right. But if you follow this, it's going to be a lot better than just having no regulations at all, mm -hmm. just being a two-legged animal. Mm -hmm. So that's what's being explained here. It is far better to discharge one's prescribed duties, even faultily, than another's duties perfectly. Mm. Destruction in the course of performing one's own duty is better than engaging in another's duties, for to follow another's path is dangerous. Um, so sometimes you might wonder, well, if it was somebody else's path and I did it perfectly, that probably is my path. right? But if you think of it, like, for example, in terms of ashrama, so... If you're, uh, let's say, a married man, um, and you know you're maintaining your family nicely and all this, so even if you could be a sannyasi and do it well, that is not, at least in this time of your life, your prescribed duty to just renounce everything and walk out. So, you know, we all have our duties to perform. Okay, so now the last section of this chapter, Arjuna asks a very, in question, very interesting question. By what is one impelled to sinful acts, even unwillingly, as if engaged by force? And Krishna doesn't mince words. Kama Esha, Kota Esha, Raja Guna Samutava, he says. The Supreme Lord says, It is lust only, Arjuna, which is born of contact with the material mode of passion and later transformed into wrath, wrath means anger, which is the all-devouring sinful enemy of this world. <laughs> When a living entity comes in contact with the material creation, so this is the 30,000 foot level, the uh, existential level. When we come in contact with material creation, our eternal love for Krishna is transformed into lust in association with the mode of passion. A little later, therefore, lust is the greatest enemy of the living entity, and it is lust only which induces the pure living entity to remain entangled in the material world and remember lust is is not only the you know thing we think about but it's just a lust for the material world in general and the end the last paragraph the supreme personality of god had expanded himself this is also the 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 existential level expanded himself into many for his ever-increasing spiritual bliss and the living entities are parts and parcels of this spiritual bliss. But they also have partial independence. But by misuse of their independence, when the service attitude is transformed into the propensity for sense enjoyment, they come under the sway of lust. This material creation is created by the Lord to give facility to the conditioned souls to fulfill their lusty propensities. Now this is, again, coming down a level, not pure devotion. And when completely baffled by prolonged lustful activities, the living entities begin to inquire about their real position. Mm. So we see here, Kama Esha, Krota Esha. When, when our material desires are not fulfilled, we get angry mm -hmm. sometimes. Mm -hmm. 
So that's so Krishna continues. We have a few more minutes. As fire is covered by smoke, as a mirror is covered by dust, or as an embryo is covered by the womb, the living entity is covered, similarly covered by different degrees of lust. So um, mirror on the of dust, uh, let's see which one's which fire is covered by smoke is considered the mode of goodness. You still get the heat and the light. There's still some smoke. Um, the mirror covered by dust, you can still see the mirror, but you can't, you can't see yourself in it, right? Um, and then the embryo by the womb, you don't see the child at all. You, know? you can't. You just can see the symptoms. Right? One being pregnant, but child can't see out. You can't see in, right? So that's the compared to the mode of ignorance, just in terms of coverings. Mm -hmm. Thus, the wise living entity's pure consciousness becomes covered by his eternal enemy in the form of lust, which is never satisfied and which burns like fire. Because right? sometimes you think, you know, you, 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 just as you can't put out a fire by adding more gasoline to it, although it goes down for a second. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so similar with lust. The senses and my and the the senses the mind and the intelligence are the sitting places of this lust through them lust covers the real knowledge of the living entity and bewilders him therefore o arjuna best of the bharatas in the very beginning curb this great symbol of sin lust by regulating the senses and slay this destroyer of knowledge and self-realization and at the end of the last paragraph when love of God deteriorates into lust, it is very difficult to return to the normal condition that we experience, right? <laughs> Nonetheless, Krishna consciousness is so powerful that even a late beginner can become a lover of God by following the regulated principles of devotional service. And I like this next sentence. So from any stage of life or from the time of understanding its urgency, one can begin regulating the senses in Krishna consciousness, devotional service of the Lord, and turn the lust into love of God, the highest perfectional stage of human life. I always like that. It's encouraging, right? The, yeah. Or from the time of understanding its urgency. So you could be um, Arjuna's age or my age, right? Mm -hmm. Take it up. Mm -hmm. And then we'll, I guess we'll finish these last two verses. The working senses are superior to dull matter. Mind is higher than the senses. Intelligence is still higher than the mind, and he, the soul, is even higher than the intelligence. Mm -hmm. Thus, knowing oneself to be transcendental to the mode, to the material senses, mind and intelligence, almighty armed Arjuna, you should steady the mind by deliberate spiritual intelligence, and thus, by spiritual strength, conquer the insatiable enemy known as lust. And Prabhupada summarizes this third chapter the purport. This third chapter of the Bhagavad Gita is conclusively directive to Krishna consciousness by knowing oneself as the eternal servitor of the supreme personality of Godhead without considering impersonal voidness the ultimate end. In the material existence of life one is certainly influenced by propensities for lust and desire for dominating the resources of material nature. Desire for overlording and for sense gratification is the greatest enemy of the conditioned soul, 
but by the strength of Krishna consciousness, one can control the material senses, the mind, and the intelligence. One may not <coughs> excuse me, give up work <coughs> and prescribe duties all of a sudden, but by gradually developing Krishna consciousness, one can be situated in a transcendental position without being influenced by the material senses and the mind, by steady intelligence directed towards one's pure identity. This is the sum total of this chapter. Mm. Well, right in time. 